you're so focused on, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? You're never going to do it because you're waiting mm. for people to give you permission to do that particular thing. And you want to know whether it's going to be successful before you even complete it. Mm. Like, how would you know? Like, just do it. Welcome back to the Productivity Lab, where we put the tips, tricks, and methods of getting stuff done to the test. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Kyle. And in this episode, we get down to the practice. The practice of what exactly? Well, we'll define that a little bit later. But before (laughs) we do, Kyle, what have you been up to? Uh, I guess some uh, fun news. I finally got a bike, uh, which is awesome now. Uh, I've only had for about half a week right now, but I'm just like, I want to know where I could bike to, how far I could bike. Uh, I've kind of figured out that if it's like less than 20 minute bike right away, it's definitely worth biking to. So I'm just trying to reroute my brain to thinking in the world in in terms of bikes, uh, which I think is great because uh, it's healthier, uh, leaves less room for, or leaves, it puts less cars in the road. And uh, it's kind of wasteful if you think about driving like a 2,000 pound car to go five minutes away from your house. So as long as like I'm not picking up food, it should be a pretty good uh, way to get around the neighborhood and around the area. Uh, yesterday, actually, I biked down to one of my favorite coffee shops, which is about a 15 minute bike ride. And it's totally great. It's got time to think about things I want to work on in the way there. And when I got there, I did work on a thing i'm working on right now which is i'm taking a beginning creative writing class at a local community college and so i biked to the coffee shop worked there for about two hours and biked back it was great um what else have i been up to Hmm. i finished a book called braiding sweet grass i can't remember the name of the author right now but it's uh she's a biologist but also she is an indigenous she's of indigenous american heritage Uh, so she kind of dedicated her life to basically practicing science and also the indigenous uh philosophy of treating nature like it's uh like we're a part of nature and now that nature is subservient to us and the book i think led to a bit of an existential existential crisis to me so uh i'm uh, kind of processing the book still a good book though it's a bit long i actually would only recommend it to people that are are interested in the topic it's kind of like a memoir of her life as a biologist and her heritage uh, with some good lessons in it, but it's like fi- it's nearly 500 or 400 pages long, which is a bit long to dedicate to uh, if you aren't already interested in the topic. But I'm trying to make myself as I'm trying to become more green, so to speak. So the book was something I needed at the time. Uh, but other than that, though, I've been just kind of doing chores around the house. Today's going to be a big chore day after done recording. So I'm not looking forward to that, but it has to be done. So it will be done. How about you, Mark? Two, two comments. The reading anything about environmental work uh, can cause you to have an existential crisis. Yes. Further, just, yeah, wait, sorry. A quick thing. Kirkazot's a great YouTube channel. Just published a video on uh, what can you do to prevent <laughs> climate change. Yes. And I got super depressed for like three days and I'm still struggling with it. Uh, the, the thesis of the story is that, of the, of not the story of the video is that. A single person can't do anything, and uh, uh, so we should combine our efforts. But 
it can be depressing at times thinking like 7 billion people trying to focus on one problem at once <laughs> in the most effective way possible. But yeah, anyways, go on with your point too. I mean, I mean what is what is a billion people against, you know, mega corporations yeah. that are actually, you know, causing the majority of it with no, you know, oh, we're not going to go yeah, there. Yeah, let's not go into that, but, but you had a second point. <laughs> What's your second point? The, 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 the other thing uh, with regarding environmental is just, just you know, a point uh if people want to also investigate it look for further but that the unfortunately there are also environmental activists that are being um murdered oh. uh <laughs> yeah well, um i got darker than that <laughs> yeah they um, unfortunately they, they uh you know are protesting and trying to you know save land and for uh forest and and trying to protect uh regions from um abuses and you know, um, several have been murdered at an alarming pace. Um, so that's you know, it's, uh, it's it it can get pretty dark, but that's kind of the reality of things with that. The second thing to kind of bring it around <laughs> yeah. um, is the um, uh, your biking. I mm. I really like like that because I've you know have walk. I'm lucky to live in a particular area where I can, you know, walk to the grocery store, mm-hmm. walk to the coffee shop. Uh, there's two actually in both the directions I can walk. Um, I can walk to pick up, uh, you know, order food or walk to the bookstore mm-hmm. or cycle to the bookstore and stuff. Uh, so it's pretty cool to have a bike to do that. Um, and that's kind of why I'm big into if you ever heard of strong towns, uh, which are more into developing communities that are more focused on people walking, biking, and jogging as opposed to cars. Yep, I'm um, very for that. We, we live close to two major roads, and we're all though we're a 10-minute drive from our nearest grocery store. Uh, our favorite coffee shop's nearby. There's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty nice area to be in for like simple biking at least. I would like to bike to the yeah. store, but it's too far for me right now. Yeah, and so, so it's very interesting uh, concepts and designs on how you can restructure things. And there's been, I think we talked about this before, but there's been different projects in different Mm -hmm. states and cities, like New York has cornered off certain blocks to keep Mm -hmm. it to people only, no cars allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, you know, or just keep it to public transportation only. So buses, which speeds up the bus time and is able to carry more people through quickly. And it didn't change, you know, have any uh, negative impact on the surrounding traffic when they blocked out the vehicles from there. So it's very interesting stuff that people are finally looking at now after advocating for so long, Mm. um, because just widening highways doesn't ease the traffic problem. It actually increases the traffic issue. There's a big debate right here in Austin about expanding I-35 if it's actually... Uh, or if we should convert it into a boulevard. I don't know if it's getting heated or not, uh, but I, I do know that uh, it's a debate here. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's been proven that the more lanes you add to the highway, you just add more cars to the highway. You don't actually reduce congestion. Exactly. You just increase pollution. So my, exactly. my, I can't really say newfound environmentalism side, but my much more mindful environmental side that's been popping up since the winter freeze here in Austin <laughs> is being a lot more vigilant about these things now. Because at first I was like, yeah, we should do things that we that's good for the environment. But now I'm like, okay, we should be very mindful about what we, we do with the environment as well. So, 
Yes, yes. And, and it's very important for us in Texas because winter is coming. Yep. There's a lot of anxiety in this household. That's part um, of this, the tours this weekend is to prep some stuff. <laughs> I already got my bug out bag ready. <laughs> but um, as far as like what I've been up to, those yeah. my two commentary things on your updates, I got my dates wrong and I'm actually, I had one week off for my copy editing course and I'm back into it uh, for copy editing um, and getting back to work in there. So not long of a break as I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that is life. Yeah. And in addition to that, uh, let's see. It's been reading books. Uh, I've been doing some writing. And I've been doing a fitness Apple Fitness Challenge with a, a buddy of mine, so uh, which has been pretty fun. Um, I haven't used Apple Fitness Plus, um, and I was like, ah, why not do it? Because I already had the subscription for the other stuff that I was already subscribed mm-hmm. to, so I was like, okay. And uh, it's been pretty cool to, to use that and to kind of actually be in competition with someone uh, trash-talking uh, their stats for the day, et cetera, et cetera. So it's made me a little bit more active than I have been previously. Even though it was like three times, I, I try to make sure I, I work out three times a week. Mm-hmm. So this was a just kind of upped it a little bit more, which has been really fun, really fun to do, really good for mental health mm-hmm. um, and just your energy levels uh, throughout the day. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Not too much. Um, not, yeah, not too much going on. So let's hop right into it. Um, in this episode today, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are doing a book review of the practice, uh, shipping creative work by Seth Godin mm-hmm. and Kyle, give us a little background on who Seth Godin is. Is. Okay. Well, I didn't actually know until like yesterday who he really was. Uh, <laughs> I thought that he was just some like author or maybe like uh, a YouTube creator or something like somebody who like, you know, like works in the creative spheres a lot and uh, that he was a uh, like a prolific guy of some sorts, which he is prolific, but I didn't realize that he actually has a history in the dot com boom of the early 2000s. Uh, Seth Godin, according to his Wikipedia, is a founder of a company called Yogodyne, which is named after a, a fictional company from Thomas Pynchon. I, I can never pronounce that guy's name right. He's the guy who wrote uh, Gravity's Rainbow and The Crying the Crying of Lot 49, I think are his two biggest books. He's a very postmodern author, as I understand. But anyways, that's about the author that he named his company after. I really don't know what this company did that Seth Godin uh, made, but he sold it to Yahoo during the dot-com boom. And it seems like that he's been kind of like being like a consultant and speaker and writer since then. He's written a lot of books on marketing. Uh, one of the books that he that he's also famous for, at least I think is he's famous for, because I've heard it in productivity circles, is The Dip, uh, which is a book about winning... When to know when to quit and how to quit because uh, the sunk cost fallacy is actually a huge thing that's big for careers of all types. 
and mm-hmm. I think it's a useful philosophy to learn. But I, yeah, this whole time I thought that maybe he was just like, like somebody that, uh, uh, what's his name? Like just like some like famous blogger who like made like a lot of money. Like Tim Tim Urban is one of my favorite was one of my favorite bloggers. He like writes a lot about like good things and science and stuff. And mm-hmm. I thought that maybe Seth Godin was like into that sphere, which he does have a blog, but it seems like he mostly seems to be in various different spheres from marketing to blogging to giving speeches. So he's like all over the place, but his main thing seems to be helping people get their word out there. And I guess in this case, the practice, like he should like keep this up, but yeah, he's not the guy I thought he was going to be. <laughs> I thought he was like, more like, a, <laughs> like, like an artist who like wrote this thing. And he's like, yeah, this is like what I believe, but he's actually a pretty wealthy, successful guy who, uh, it seems like he's made a second career as a blogger and public speaker. Uh, but his, uh, he was a part of the dot com boom and he's uh, been making a lot of money on the internet ever since then. And so that's my rundown of Seth Godin. His Wikipedia article is actually pretty small and I don't want to look too much into him because I want to talk more about the book than the person. And so have you heard this book before, Mark? Um, yes, because I am, a, I would say, a light follower. I'm not like, okay. I don't want to say follower. Because <laughs> then that implies I follow absolutely everything that he does, and I don't. Mm-hmm. But I knew of him from the uh, from my stint of copywriting and marketing. So in the circles that I had followed within the copywriting and marketing area, he's he's been very big there and influential there. Mm-hmm. And his blog has been very big. There's even been people who are like, I'm literally going to go to his blog and and copyright meaning literal copy all of his writing okay um, i see yeah all right so he's or, really doing copy or copy work um like copy all of his writing to see how he writes the way he does or, or constructs things to improve their own writing so people have done that huh. so he's and, a really talented writer i mean i i would say that about the book is very well written yeah the, I, the book is very different <laughs> and this book is very constructed differently mm-hmm. than what she would normally uh have but yes people do follow his his blogs uh copy work so um i've read his blogs from time to time uh, people really liked his book tribes as well okay um uh, that's been a book that's been highly referenced uh, as well. And then lastly, I follow his podcast, Akimbo. So Akimbo, I would probably say Akimbo is like a audio version of this book. Okay. Uh, which is interesting because for this huh. book, not only do I have the physical copy, I listen to the audio book, which is read by him. So it was like listening to his podcast. Um Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of uh, just to add to that how I uh, am aware of uh, him or knew that this book was coming out. Uh, it's just kind of I've been in that circle a little bit when I used to copyright many years ago, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and you're you know you're reading and you're trying to learn from the the best that do it, and uh, his name was always floating around so. Okay, yeah, so you've been much more aware of who Seth Godin is more than I have. Uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, I had no idea who this guy was. I've heard of this book mentioned a lot in a lot of productivity circles, especially creative productivity yeah. circles like I'm a part of. 
So I was like, okay, so this guy must be like some like prolific writer or like an artist of some sort. He's a prolific writer, but he's not necessarily an artist in terms of like the conventional sense, I guess. Like you, you still use right. creative. And this book, to, I guess to get into the book, uh, the book isn't about necessarily like writing creatives. He does talk about writing a lot and it because he's a writer. But yeah. it's like basically uh, saying that I think is iterated pretty well in our first in our first book review, Atomic Habits, which is working on small things each day to build up the practice. And yes. the practice is based on your identity and your identity is based on the practice. So it, to me, it felt very reminiscent of Atomic Habits. I'm not sure which one came out first, but it felt very reminiscent of our review of Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. Great book. Yep. I think. It was, I think it was our yeah. first book review, if not our first or second book review. And, and so in throughout the book, it's, the book is structured in a very, I describe them as like cone-like way. They're very short entries. I think that's the right word. Is it cone? K-O-A-N? Or is that completely wrong? <laughs> K-O-A-N? Yeah. Um, I'm looking up right now. Okay. I'm looking up. <laughs> A cone is a story, dialogue, question, or statement which is used in Zen practice to provoke a great doubt uh, and to practice or test a student's pride. Okay, it's not a cone. <laughs> There's no great doubt. It's the opposite. It's like great motivation comes from this. So I use the yeah. wrong word. There's short passages that are like maybe yes. a page. Like they're like two pages long on Kindle. They're very short. And they're basically broken down to like a simple title. Like let me see if I could find one. Of course, I don't have my Kindle with me in the room. They're like blog posts many yeah blog yeah posts like very short blog posts if anything they're yeah. like really long tweets yeah and like three four paragraphs at you know or five at most for mm-hmm. particular sections some are just one paragraph but yeah there there's like you said there's a the topic mm-hmm. so yeah so the structure is is that each one of these is numbered the book is broken into multiple sections um that you have mm-hmm. or or condensed in and uh, grouping of a topic here so let me pull up what they are i mean my kindle app open on my phone since i forgot my kindle in the other room <laughs> <laughs> so you have the trust yourself generous the professional intent mm-hmm. no such thing as writer's block make assertions earn your skills seek out constraints where do ideas come from if you had tomorrow to do it over again would you unquenchable and then uh, those those are the sections mm. so within within each of those sections like trust yourself there will be numbered let's let's call them post <laughs> <laughs> there will be numbered post with a particular idea like um within the trust yourself section uh it will be uh, number three is are you searching for something mm. right and then it'll be a couple lines or paragraphs about that uh, then you'll have number five, finding a practice, number six, number seven. So each one of these like posts, if you mm-hmm. will, are numbered. Mm-hmm. So you can refer back to, oh, Peyton, you know, number 86, but not a hack. Mm-hmm. And you get to see like a, a four quadrant chart uh, with that. I, as I say, I think it's structured that way. So if you like want to quickly remind yourself of something, if you want to go through yeah. like, one a day, I don't know how many entries there are. There might be 365 as far as I know. I think it's like 200 and something. It's like two fifty, I think. But you like go through like one a day. That's yeah, two two nineteen. Uh, I think it's two hundred and fifty pages long. But these are small pages. Uh, yeah. I finished this book. Yeah, I finished this book in like three four days of reading time. 
about like mm-hmm. half an hour to an hour each day probably actually closer to like half an hour each day and i was yeah. at the mission like three or four days it's it says 250 pages but it's really 250 small pages which i think are designed that way to uh uh to kind of like isolate each of the sections a little bit more you turn to a certain page and you like land around land right on it like the tiles right there I, absolutely so absolutely yeah it's like something that give you like a, i guess a daily affirmation to that way yeah, I was thinking like the the um, daily stoic meditations. Yeah, you know? I actually was thinking that too. Yeah, you're like your uh, daily stoic. Yeah, yeah, structured in the same way. You have your topic idea. It, although those aren't numbered, it would be cool actually if uh, if they were numbered. Mm-hmm. But it, it's structured in that same way, and either you can, and then also have the um, Christo, uh, the. Oh man, I forgot the actual name of the book. The Do or something like that. Yeah. I don't have it in reachable within me, but it's by Chris Doe. Uh The Pocket of Do or okay. Pocket of Doe. And it's kind of, you know, structured in that same way in which there are small snippets of ideas mm-hmm. or particular centered on topics. And it's it's regarding that person's experience. Mm-hmm things that they've learned and things that you sh- you should do. And if you're in the design area, Chris Doe is contentious <laughs> in that he- he's kind of like frank and upfront. Yeah. And he's like my job is to make money. Yeah. Uh, or as a as a designer. So he talks about the business of design which in the design world, graphic design to be more specific, um uh they don't so he talks about that. He works with, you know, talks about the clients and stuff. And there are a lot of people in the design world that actually, you know, buttress against that. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, that that's that's fine. If that, you know, it's it's not whether his idea is to, the go-to. But if it works for you, it, it works. He's just helping you deal with clients. Mm how to get larger clients and he role plays etc right so his book is structured in that way and so the practice is structured in all those same similar ways of all the other stuff that we just mentioned in which you have these topics broken out into those multiple sections with either quotes or references to kind of bring the point to Mm -hmm. a head uh, if you will so that's yeah. kind of how, how it's structured. It also reminds me of other books like in the same vein, like The War of Arts, which I read mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I don't remember it that well, uh, but uh, that has like, it's a very short sections that kind of go there to kind of motivate the artists. Uh, the other one that reminds me of too is also like the uh, Steel Like an Artist. Let's see, there's three books in the series. Austin Steel Kleon. Like an Art. Yeah, Austin Kleon. He's written three books in the series. I've read two, uh, three of them, although I own all three of them. You could also finish these like within a couple hours. Uh, they're still like an artist. Show your work and keep going. All of them mm-hmm. are very just like, like up. I guess like motivating uh, philosophical books about creative work and less about actual uh, pragmatic stuff. Although I think keep going, not keep going. Uh, Show your work actually has a lot has a lot of pragmatic advice in it. Actually, I think mm-hmm. that there's some good pragmatic advice in those books, and I like those a lot. But they also have like a very similar tone to them where it's like, like an artist steals, like there's nothing is original, like, and he'll have stuff like show your work, which in that case, he means like, uh, have like behind the scenes stuff for your stuff. Because people want to see like how the, yeah. how things are done. That's like his whole thing. 
and also yeah. like how to promote yourself better. Actually, it's inspired me to create my newsletter. Uh, was the book show your work so I could uh, do a lot more updates and behind the scenes with like musings uh, at the beginning of each newsletter. Uh, so it fits into that whole like I call it artist philosophy series of books, yeah, and yeah. not necessarily an artist practice style book, which is, I think is a bit ironic with the title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, so, but yeah, it definitely fits into that uh, that pantheon of books as I use in my Goodreads review of that of that genre. Like, I would agree with that. Like, let's see, I have actually three passages on here that I put onto Goodreads. I tagged TPL. That would be nice to talk about. Like, this is one that's very philosophical, I think, or I guess like reassuring, which is every career who has engaged in the practice has a long, nearly infinite string of failures. All the ways not to start a novel not to invent the light bulb, not to transform a relationship. And again and again, creative leaders fail. It is the foundation of our work. We fail and then we edit and then we do it again. I think that's a great, great line right there. Like, yes, it is. Failure is a part of the process and you should embrace it. Uh, it's like that famous quote from Thomas Edison, or allegedly famous quote from Thomas Edison, if he said it, uh, which is like, I didn't fail 160 something times. I just learned 160 different ways to not make a light bulb. Um, I know it's actually I don't know if it's an actual quote or saying that's falsely attributed to him, but still a, a good quote. And let's see, I had another one I wanted to highlight from here. Uh, if you want to complain that you don't have any good ideas, please show me all your bad ideas first. Befriending your bad ideas is a useful way forward. They're not your enemy; they're essential steps on a path to better. Clearly, there's a trend of the things I want to talk about about failure, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know the bad ideas and. Uh, this I think is a really good one too, uh, especially for somebody like me who's trying to like really up my writing practice and eventually have a published book. Is begin with genre, understand it, master it, then change it. Siegel and Schuster didn't invent comics, but they changed them with Superman. Robbie Parker didn't invent eyeglasses, but the company changed the way people buy glasses by revolutionizing their supply chain. Lemon Tree didn't invent nonprofits that serve the poor, but they changed the approach and the metrics. Before we could begin to make it make it different, we have to begin with what's the same, which I think that's a really important thing uh, because I think uh, a lot of people try to enter a field by wanting to change it without actually fully understanding the field. Oh, yeah. And it's good to have an outsider point of view, but like you could like say, I'm going to write the next, say, the book I just finished reading, Infinite Jest. The book is very, very strangely written. I know you're reading through it right now. Yeah. Uh, it's done in like a very kind of like a whole screw it kind of method of writing i'd say like where he's like screw it, i'm not gonna have any punctuation for the next two paragraphs <laughs> <laughs> and uh other than commas and but the thing is though the guy who wrote it david foster wallace he was a he was i don't know if he was a professor of english but he taught english at a university uh he was a teacher of english he he did a lot of teaching like he understood the language and how to write uh, really well and because he understood it, he knew how to break it in a very compelling way so you might think that it's like a guy who like just tried to like write whatever but there's a reason why this book's considered to be a cult hit because he does it in such a clever way that he could only get to by understanding the the crafts you have to know the rules to break them yep. i'm writing i was writing something that's tangentially related it's more about all the forums I visit and seeing people ask questions. Can I write this? Can I write oh this? Oh my God. Sorry. Okay. This is a quick tangent. Uh, <laughs> somebody edited it out, but writing communities, I love you, but this, the writing subreddit in particular, our writing 
It was like the same five questions over and over again. I was like, would this be a good idea for a book? I was like, I don't know. Have you read it yet? Just like. Yeah. I mean, pretty much that's, it's so funny. That's pretty much my, the, the, the thing that I'm writing and it should be published shortly. Um, but it's more like, I don't think that's the actual question. I, I think uh, the, the, well, the spoiler alert from an article, that's not the actual question that they're asking. Like, can I write in first person? Can I write, you know, a, a character eating a muffin at mm. the beginning at start of my story? That is not the question that they're asking. What they want, to, what they want to know, is if what they're writing is going to be interesting mm, that's and will it. people like it. Yeah. And that's based on a fear of failure, mm-hmm. right? Which this book and, is outlined pretty clearly multiple times. Yeah. Exactly. And so then the quotes that you said bring me to one of my uh, favorites, um, and uh, I think it's number sixteen, in which he's. Um, in which it's it's about the process and outcomes. Number and this is kind of why I changed from talking about goals to a focus uh, when I'm concerning any projects or areas that I'm working on. Um, so the quote is, focusing solely on outcomes forces us to make choices that are banal, short-term, or selfish. I have it those things I focus. can highlight. <laughs> go on, sorry, go on, I thought it it takes our focus away from the journey and encourages us to give up too early. Yes. This I really love that one. And it, it, it epitomizes, you know, so much about what the, the, the book is mm-hmm. and that, and I'm going to add that quote to my article. So I'm so <laughs> glad I, I kind of waited because I wrote the first draft of it and I'm like, something's missing. And I was like, and I read this book and I was like, Ah, this is yeah. what's missing. Um, but it, it, it epitomizes that so much because those questions that they're asking is not the is not what they're actually asking. And they're more concerned about what the outcome or the result is, if it's going to be interesting, that they're not even focusing on uh, the, the process of them writing, right? And I'm like, and it's so true. If you're so focused on, well, did I you know, can I do this? Can I do that? You're never going to do it because you're waiting Mm. for people to give you permission to do that particular thing. And you want to know whether it's going to be successful before you even complete it. Mm. Like, how would you know? Like, just do it. And if it doesn't work, find out why it doesn't work, edit it Mm -hmm. and make it better. Right. And then he also asked the question of, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't know which section this was in. But it's like, what is success anyway? Yeah. By by who, right? And it's more about what your intention is. What was your intention in creating this or doing the the work or the project or whatever in the first place? Was it to um, to have it sell, you know, a million things or whatever? Is that what you're defining success, or is that what's being defined as success? Like, if that's not the creator's intention then maybe their definition of success is very different than what the outside perspective is. Mm -hmm. And I find that also interesting because so many people, um, and I I keep hinging on this in writing, get caught up in what is a success. And I'm like, you know, there's, um, I I think we need to kind of redefine what success means. Yeah. I think that people 
write yeah like people want to write the next great american novel and people yeah. like want to create something that's wonderful and they want to be that person but also i think that it's so easy to romanticize that it's like playing the lottery mm-hmm. where you just kind of buy the ticket for like that quick sense of like okay maybe i could become a millionaire uh but it's not really going to it's kind of like getting an escape and i get like some people like have really crappy jobs and they need an escape so that's good for that but i think that yeah, yeah i think also yeah, the fear of failure is a huge one up there but also the the lack of discipline is also like okay people like this idea maybe i'll work on it but if you don't have the discipline to work on it you're gonna fail anyways exactly the the um uh i was just looking at it did i not like i was just looking at it it was about the um okay 26 see i had the number right oh (laughs) look at that not even (laughs) how big is the discard pile so that one talks about uh, Drew Dernovich, and which he showed a picture of like his drawings. Mm-hmm. And he had this one stack of drawings or illustrations he made, like for the New Yorker and other places, in which the small stack was the ones that were bought, that people said yes to, we will buy those. Mm-hmm. And he had an even larger stack where they all said no to mm-hmm. it, right? And so if if the no's are piling up, you know, and that's why people are, that's why he's advocating for the switch from um, looking at the outcomes mm-hmm. and more at the process. Because if you're looking at the outcomes and you just got a flurry of no's coming, and that's going to immediately discourage people, right? And mm-hmm. make them turn away or quit something when they should be focusing on the process. Because... A no doesn't mean that the cartoon or whatever was bad. It it can just mean that it wasn't what they were looking for at that time, mm-hmm. right? It, it's how are you looking at that? How are you interpreting mm-hmm. that? The same way with uh, freelance writers. I was just listening to an interview of a freelance writer, and she sends out like 50 pitches a month uh, to varying mm-hmm. places. And she's very successful in writing. Mm-hmm. But she sent out 50 pitches a month and she may get like just, you know, a response or two Mm. back. And it just depends on uh, what people are looking for in that particular time. But if you're getting a flurry of no's, like you're like, I'm going to quit because you're looking at the outcome Mm. instead of uh, focusing on the process. I'm going to use a personal antidote here, but uh, I recently submitted, not recently, I guess over the summer, I think back in May, actually. I submitted a short story to a uh, publication that hasn't really published anything at the time. They actually just released their first issue recently. Mm-hmm. and uh, But like, they were promoting it on Reddit. I'm on this subreddit called Weird Lit, which is for like, uh, kind of things like the, like the book Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Kind of like things are strange and otherworldly. It's a genre I really like, but it's kind of like hard to like, really find some good quality Weird Lit out there, yeah. I think. And uh, so... Uh, this uh but this publication they're like oh we like weird lit a lot we're gonna create an online publication um called star wars shadows quarterly and we're going to do every four months we'll publish like a collection of like 10 stories or something like that. i can't remember how much it is uh that they like and uh they rejected me i submitted them my 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 favorite story i've ever written uh they rejected me and at first i was like okay this kind of hurts but then i yeah. after that was after the feelings aside I emailed back the editor and say, okay, what can be improved? How can I get better at this? 
and I took their notes and I got back to it and I rewrote the story and I think I made it better. Actually, it's my favorite thing I've ever written as a, as a second draft of that story. And now I'm like all about second. I'm now I'm all about like not publishing unless there's like a, unless there's a second draft first. Now he's like, oh yeah, like this. Like, like at first, like I wanted to just like write and write and write, but like I realized from that, like if I want to actually get noticed, I need to improve my quality. And usually, when you write your first draft, you don't really know what the hell you're doing. You just kind of write it and see how it goes. And so I now have this whole thing. And also, it's like a flash fiction story, which is like a hundred thousand words. Uh, I will try to always write two drafts of a story before I move on and yeah like that rejection made me a better writer and I think mm-hmm. it's uh it was all for the better uh I resubmitted the story to them and apparently they have a bunch of submissions that they weren't able to get to my resubmission in time for the first issue but they might consider me for one of their upcoming issues but uh yeah just like that rejection was I think the most important thing to happen to me as a career in the writing field and also that's true like with my engineering job you need the feedback because we design things that stand up in the air and if they fall over, <laughs> you fall on somebody's car or house and I'm not going to have like another engineer say, Oh, you did this wrong. It's like, <laughs> because I, I'm not going to put my pride in the line for a power line falling over in somebody's house. That would be horrible. And also I could lose my job. <laughs> so like, like, uh, I will say that at work, I get feedback a lot. And like the sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm like, like, are you sure? Like, it's like, but in the end though, I take their, their feedback to heart and I make the edits because if it wasn't for having a second pair of eyes telling me that you did this wrong, it could fall over and kill somebody. And that is important. And that's not the nice thing about the writing and podcasting hobbies is that you can't kill somebody with these. And if you do, it's you're the first one or you have a death note. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the only way that could ever happen and but still like you are playing to a market and then you're playing to a fan base and you want you need to know like what they're looking for and how you can improve to fit that market and if maybe if you don't fit the market you find a different market or yeah but absolutely the rejection is super important for these cases and getting feedback especially helpful feedback like the editor was super helpful with my feedback uh, she actually was impressed with how open my I was about it. So <laughs> that was like a little bonus. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I was like, wow. Uh, but yeah, like the, the part of the practice is also being a lifelong student of your craft that you're exploring. And the moment you think of yourself as a master is the moment that you start falling backwards. And so having a practice and having an open mind and embracing rejection and actually sometimes even seeking it out is super important to improving yourself as uh, not only a a member of the craft, but also as a human in general. Makes you more humble, makes you more open-minded, um, and so on. Absolutely. Like, you can't... I'm, I've always kind of... Yeah, I've always kind of been primed for feedback uh, because I started songwriting, so then you can't... If you want people to sing your songs you obviously have to share them yeah, (laughs) and you work with them on things that don't sound right or doesn't go right. Or you're like, eh, I didn't like that word Mm -hmm. there. So let me change it. And you do that on everything else. Uh, Same with the most of my time it's been spent uh, nonfiction Mm -hmm. writing in the technical space, but people still have to review it. Mm -hmm. Even my work, I still need people to review like sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, this is pretty good. Or I'm second guess myself and I'm like, I need a second pair of eyes because mm-hmm. I'm in this tunnel 
now I'm in this tunnel and I can't see what's around me, mm-hmm. right? And so a second pair of eyes will come in and be like, yeah, you got tunnel vision. Like you're looking at this one thing, but here's what else you're missing, right? And then it just, you know, boom, I see a field uh, of flowers again, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm not solely focused on a particular thing. And it truly helps when you get a second pair of eyes and you get that feedback. Um, and, and so that's essential to me. And that's something that I learned in Toastmasters as well. <laughs> you're kind of great, forced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're kind of forced to get that feedback. Yeah. There, um, there's a uh, TED Talk. I'll try to link it into the edits or into the show notes. What I'm editing is a, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's called like 100 Days of Rejection. He's in Austin, oh, or he yeah. was in Austin. I think he lives in San Francisco now. But he realized that he wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he could never actually force himself to make a company because he's afraid of rejection. So he went out for 100 days and did like arbitrary things to get rejected by. Like he'd like go and like ask somebody to like dance with them in the street and they'd say no. Uh, he'd ask if like, he'd like bring in them, like open up an end. Oh, I'm just BSing some stuff right now. Uh, he like went to a local ice cream shop, Amy's Ice Creams, uh, and like asked for something that doesn't exist on the menu. <laughs> just like he's just like warming himself up to the idea of getting no. And uh, I actually did that for a while too. I did that for like about 20 days, I think, when I was applying for a new job uh, with my old job. Uh, I guess it was like five years ago now. But I knew I was going to get a lot of rejections through it. So I deliberately did dumb things. <laughs> like like uh, I went to, uh, I think I went to like a car dealership once and said like, hey, can you give me like a rundown like, like how to sell stuff? <laughs> and... Uh, and like, like no, I was like, okay, well, anyways, like the whole point is like, I could just get used to it. like that. The failure was important. And of course, Toastmasters is doing it at the same time as well. And they, yeah. they teach you to be, to embrace the feedback and how to deliver feedback in a very effective and kind way and supportive way. And that's, that's an important piece of, if you're producing work is that, uh, feedback. There are some people, no matter how kind of a feedback you give mm-hmm. them, especially those in the writing sphere. <laughs> they do not want it. They do not like it. Yeah. They 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 want no part of it at all. Mm. Um no matter how kind your feedback is. Mm. It's a personal attack upon their person. Mm. Um and yeah, I, I I think to produce work or to have people consume the work and to make the work better, you need other people to kind of participate mm-hmm. and to give you feedback. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to accept their feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take their feedback, think it over, and just like, okay, this makes sense. And other people are saying the same thing, so maybe I can make a change here. Or it doesn't make sense, I reject your feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you... you you ultimately have the decision on what to do unless, you know, multiple people are all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Then you kind of need to step back and be like, okay, they're definitely mm-hmm. right. There's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And um, I need to look and see how I can, how I can apply their feedback. So yeah, I think that's very important uh, or a great through line and what he has in this particular book and i did not realize how long we've been going i know but this is like um, i actually it's a short <laughs> book i thought it would be like a short review but there's a lot of good philosophy in this 
uh, which I think there, it, there is. like uh, it's not it's philosophy that if you're a part of a creative productivity circles for the past couple of years, mm-hmm. it's nothing new, uh, but still always good to have it reinforced. I think, uh, which yeah. is how I felt when I reread uh, or when I when I read uh, the Austin Kleon books, which actually I might finish the third one this weekend or something. Uh, but uh, like still like an artist, like okay, okay, I already knew this, but it's nice nice to have this stuff reinforced. Another thing that I think was great to have reinforced this book was the identity-based practice, which I think is probably the most important lesson I picked up from Atomic Habits. And I think I'll carry that with me for the rest of my life because like, there's like one thing to like want to, like we talk about writing in this podcast since we both are writers, but it's like one thing to talk about wanting to be a writer. It's another thing to actually be a writer. So you're like, okay, what does a writer do? They write every day. Even if it's crap, you write every day. Uh, or I guess uh, it could be true like working out too. Like I identify as a health conscious uh, athletic person and what does a health conscious athletic person do? They're very mindful what they eat and they work out five times a week. So that's what I do. Uh, and that helps And doing my nightly check-in as I did talk about in the last episode uh, helps reinforce identity since I rank it each day and I'm basically ranking like, okay, how well did I do at, at reinforcing this part of my identity? And I rank it on a negative two to two scale. And that uh, really helps me keep that, really helps me be mindful of those things and helps me uh, focus on those things some more. And I think that's super important. And I think next to failure in this book, which I think is actually probably the biggest takeaway, the second biggest takeaway is the identity-based practice, which is... You are going to write or draw every damn day you can. And if it's rejected, so what? You keep on writing, you keep on drawing until you get better. Like My personal motto has always been progress is progress, which means that as long as you're making progress, even if it's incremental, at least you're making progress. And uh, was a famous quote from the uh, from Adventure Time, which is like, I'm going to paraphrase it, but something like, like second at saying it's just like the first step of it getting uh, of, yeah, my dog's scratching his collar. I think you'd hear that. <laughs> I'm gonna find it right now. Actually, it's a great quote. So, adventure time sucking quote. Yeah. So the the famous quote from Adventure Time is, "Dude, sucking at something is a sit." Yeah. Reagan's. <laughs> the the quote from Adventure Time is. Sucking at something is the first step towards being sort of good at something, which I think is a great, great outlook to have. Yes, yes. Um, And I definitely agree on the identity. Atomic Habits, again, Mm -hmm. man, I love that That book. book, All things lead Um, to Atomic Habits or Hyperfocus. Those are the two books we talk about the most. (laughs) It does. It truly does. Um, Man, I love that book. It's so good. But I, I agree with the identity one because for me personally, you know, I never called myself a writer mm-hmm. because I thought, oh, to be a writer, you had to be like this successfully published mm-hmm. author. That's right. Etc. Yeah. And so I went, you know, most of the, even though I wrote a lot, um, you know, writing songs and, and, and poetry mm-hmm. and uh, you know, quality is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, I do have you know what I what I would aspire to write, not not write like, mm-hmm. 
but to to have that same kind of cadence and mm-hmm. flow and just uh, pure ambrosia. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it wasn't until, you know, I, I kind of was like, ah, I'm going to discard that idea mm-hmm. because I already write, so why not call myself a writer? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. And, it, and, and I wrote on an index card uh, from there, and it's, it's an actual small parenthetical line and number 25, who you are and what you do, mm-hmm. it says, do, then, be, right? Um, and uh, preceding that one, he says uh, in the book, before you are a best-selling author, you are an uh, author. And authors write, mm-hmm. before you are an acclaimed entrepreneur, you're simply that. someone who is building something, right? So, so you have to do what you want to be. And one thing, again, going back to, 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 to forums and, and communities, right? Um, I think so many are, are like the idea of something, mm-hmm. but don't want to, to put in the work to do that. And it's like, you can only get to that if you're doing said thing. Yeah. So when, when I kind of revamped everything a couple of years ago and was like, okay, like I want to be like, I am a writer, but I want to you know continually do the work and practice. Now I may not publish everything a lot, but I still write mm-hmm. every day just in all differing forms of things or content mm-hmm. uh, that I'm, that I'm uh, writing. So I'm still writing every day. I just don't publish stuff, <laughs> yeah, uh, which yeah. I need to publish. Yeah. More. I need to get my stuff but, out. Um, That's like my next step. I developed the practice over the past year, but now I got to get my stuff myself out there more. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm slowly building a, uh, a following on medium mm. and that's great. You know, uh, uh, people are enjoying what I've written. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's, I know it's nice. I, di- I didn't write it to do that. I just wrote it to wrote it and share to, to see if it helps others. And, um, but it's, uh, it's just do then be, mm-hmm. uh, do the work that you're, you, uh, to be the person mm-hmm. who you said you want to be. And I really, really liked that quote. And so to follow with another one that that kind of uh, came up, uh, and this is number 15 in the book, mm-hmm. and it's regarding uh, where do I find my passion? Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I hadn't thought about it in this particular manner, but he says, once you decide to trust yourself, you would have found your passion. Our passions is simply the work we trusted ourselves to that, do. Yeah. It's me like Cal Newport, which you talked about maybe off the year yes. earlier, uh, but uh, Cal Newport, uh, his book, so good. They can't ignore you. His main thesis is that following your passion is bad, but following your strengths is good. And following your strengths is the things you put the work in. Like for me, my strengths are math and science and that became my career. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, like yeah. Your passion will follow your practice. Yeah, and he says, uh, I didn't write the quote. I think I remember it from the the, the book as well, the, the practice, which he says, um, uh, not to do what you love, but love what you do. Yeah. Which is an interesting uh, way of flipping that. So it, it's like trusting yourself, trusting what you're good at, 
uh, or, or, you know, the things that you love to do and to, to do those, to dive into mm -hmm. it. And then once you find that, like everything else would be a little bit, I think, easier for mm -hmm. you uh, in the fashion. So I've been kind of slowly constructing things to be in that particular manner, but that's something that I really liked as well. So... I know we've kind know, of been yeah, going been, on. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about, and I do want to keep on talking, but I guess we're approaching 56 minutes of recording. Yeah. <laughs> so. I thought, you know, starting out, I was like, oh, there's only a few, you know, quotes that I... There's other things that I highlighted mm -hmm. and noted, even in uh, even though I listened to it on the audiobook, mm -hmm. and... Oh, my camera. I listened to it in the audiobook, and I, uh, I have the physical book, so I've highlighted... Mm -hmm passages and added page uh page markers and stuff like that to that it, it's something to come back to i thought it was just going to be like a quick short I know, this is, discussion this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> um and i can certainly go yeah. for more and more so so to skip all that how about we just jump into our final thoughts so kyle uh what are your final thoughts and review of the practice i think that this is a good philosophy, a creativity book. And I think that's great for people that are looking for the extra boost or they're trying to like find the way to get into a creative hobby to read it. But I originally expected this to be more of a pragmatic book. Uh, but it was less pragmatic and more just philosophical. Philosophy is pragmatic, but it's not like it's not like a checklist pragmatism uh, or systems-based pragmatism. It's more just like, okay, here's like what you should do. And here's... Uh, or it's not like here's what you should do. It's more like here's a mindset to have, which is fine, and in itself is is important to those who are trying to become more creative and uh, maybe embrace a new hobby or try to like really buckle down for their schooling to make something out of a career. So I I think this is a good book, but I do not think it's a good book for actually learning how to do the practice. That I'd supplement that with. Uh, atomic habits I'd, i think i'd read this book first and then i'd read atomic habits next and they i think would be a great uh thing to have in tandem with each other so i give this book a four out of five how about you mark all right um yeah so let's see pull up my uh notebook notebook uh yes i have a notebook notebook a book of notes about the books i'm reading uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, overall, um, I did enjoy this book. Uh, once I actually got it, uh, you know, and cracked it open, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, this is the, the, I know what the structure of this book is. So, um, uh, as we mentioned, or did a rundown of the structure of the book, don't, don't expect a narrative form mm -hmm. with the book, yeah, even though there's some to, passages. Yeah. Yeah, even though there's some passages that do interlink with each other, mm -hmm. uh, given the themes and topics, uh, it's designed for you to read one particular passage mm -hmm. a day mm -hmm. or to come back to a reference or something like I that. I read this in two weeks, um, so I, I, after a while I became very samey with the words. And so yes. I was like, okay, I've already heard this before earlier today, but yeah, it's supposed to be a daily thing. I think, def I yes. think it's explicitly stated to read this every day. But it definitely is written that way. Read one exactly. passage a day, maybe five passages at most. I would say personally what helps with the experience, in my view, 
if you're going to read this, consume this book, is to do the audiobook version. Um, I think okay. it's better in audio form, in, in my in in my perspective. Um, it it kind of gets rid of the sameness uh, hmm. that you were talking about. But I could also be biased because I listened to his podcast, mm-hmm. Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O. So if you're hesitant on spending money for the book, The Practice, right, based off the uh, structure that we defined earlier in the episode, I would say tune into his podcast, Akimbo, because his listeners sent submit questions like, how do I find my passion mm-hmm. or how do I do this? How do I do that? And it's very in the sense of what this book talks hmm. about and, and the advice and things that he he states uh, and and he and the questions that he answers or the put central topic of what he's discussing for that particular episode, including the questions that he's answering from listeners. So that will give you, a, I think, a great sense of the style and the content of this book if you listen to his podcast, Akimbo, no cost to you. Mm-hmm. And you would you, you would kind of kind of get the idea of what the book and structure is like, and if that's something that you want to invest in, and if so, I would probably say go with the audiobook version mm-hmm. so you can listen to it on a morning walk, jog, or as you're doing dishes, mm-hmm. like I did uh, over the physical book. But of course, you know there's something about the physical or in, in Kindle books mm-hmm. where you can just mark them all up. Mm-hmm. And, I prefer them for like read bys. Yeah. And yeah. easily searchable highlights that way. Yep, yep. Um, so stuff that I marked up, I had to scan back into Re- Readwise, in which that's a great app as well. So anyway, with all of that said, uh, it is a philosophical um, a book. Kind of motivational things or things to kind of say, hey, it, I, I like that it kind of twists uh, certain concepts that you've mm. thought of regularly. And kind of flips them and give you a new perspective to think about mm-hmm. in that particular fashion. Um, I would say I was uh, hovering originally around uh, three or three point five. I didn't know what to give it, uh, but I think after discussing the book with someone, it's always after you discuss. Yeah, yeah. The book I actually, with was giving three point five originally too, but when we talked about, it, I was like, yeah, the philosophy is very important, especially for people that are new to the mentality. Yeah, so um, my final uh, reviewer score for it is a four out of five. So yeah, discuss the book with someone if you mm-hmm. don't, or discuss it with us. Tweet yeah. us and 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 let us know what you think if you read it, or certainly comment on our Instagram post. I'll try to uh, pull up some things to quote on that page. So four out of five for myself and for Kyle, and that kind of concludes the book review of the practice kyle what is coming up next uh up next we're going to uh go into the practice a little bit uh, there's a system called morning pages where you kind of dedicate like x number of minutes each morning to just kind of writing whatever comes to your mind i already kind of do something like this before uh we call stream of consciousness writing uh which is just kind of like writing non-stop and just see what comes out it could be anything from like drawing doodling for 15 minutes to like writing for five minutes to just as long as you're doing something creative for a set period of time uh don't exceed don't go under it uh don't skip if you can uh, of course things do come up but we'll be doing morning pages which is uh, uh which is i think is like a fun little meditative thing to do each morning to kind of get your creative side out and after that, though, we will be going to one of our strange habits we discussed in the last episode, and we'll be 
having one of us test out the others. Well, we'll start with one and then we might do another one after that. Uh, but <laughs> that's a teaser for the one after that. Right. Yeah. Anyways, in the meantime, you could follow this podcast on our official website, theproductivitylab.show or tbl.show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Productive Lab. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at KyleSQ9, where the Q9 is short for my personal website, quadrant9.net. You also read all my fiction writing over at jonathankweb.com. Uh, you can also follow my newsletter, my fortnightly newsletter, which is at buttondown.email slash KyleSQ9. How about you, Mark? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at AskMarkio. That's AskMarkio. And you can find my questionable writing at (laughs) AskMark.io. That is it. See you next time. Stay productive. back to another episode of the productivity lab where we put the tips tricks and methods of getting stuff done to the test <laughs> oh, that's a blooper <laughs> or we just keep that in i don't know i'm adding the episode <laughs> i'll do it again you decide if you want to keep it in. <laughs> uh, okay